Coming up on the Keto Camp Podcast, we welcome back the GOAT of nitric oxide research, Dr. Nathan Bryan. We've also tested things like Scope, Listerine, the alcohol-based mouthwash, the ones with fluoride. These products do exactly as they're advertised. You see the commercials. kills 99.9% of the bacteria in your mouth. Good and bad. Good and bad. And it it turns out that it's actually a really bad thing. So when you disrupt the oral microbiome, it shuts down nitric oxide production. We published, I believe it was in 2012, that if you use mouthwash, your blood pressure goes up. I was on the doctor's show several years ago revealing that if you use mouthwash, you lose the cardioprotective benefits of exercise. So think about this. You try to do all the right things. You try to eat a good diet. You try to get moderate physical exercise. But if you use in mouthwash, you eliminate the entire cardioprotective benefits of everything you're doing. We have access to ancient healing strategies such as ketosis, fasting, and carnivore. And on the Keto Camp Podcast, we are determined to deliver the science to you. We bring in the thought leaders in this space to have extraordinary conversations so you could apply it and change your life. Your body was built to thrive. Your body is capable of healing as long as you identify the interference and remove it. I believe you are a masterpiece because you are a piece of the master. My name is Ben Azadi. I'm the best-selling author of Keto Flex, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. Hey, Keto Camper, Ben Azadi here, the host of the Keto Camp Podcast. Thank you so much for pressing play today. We bring back Dr. Nathan Bryan for an in-person interview here at Keto Camp HQ. And we took a deep dive into nitric oxide. Dr. Nathan Bryan has been on the Keto Camp podcast before. He was on episode 484, which released uh, about a year ago. So he's back. He visits Miami very often. So I invited him to my studio to sit down and record an epic conversation all about nitric oxide. And we're going to take a deep dive. And he's going to make the case that every benefit, every health benefit you're seeking, is tied to nitric oxide production. So if you're not even familiar with nitric oxide and how that works, he'll discuss it as a gas, a signaling molecule, how it's produced and gone within seconds and how your body uses it. There's over 195,000 papers published on nitric oxide. The Nobel Prize winner, I believe in 1988 or late 1998, excuse me, late 90s, won the Nobel Prize for their research in nitric oxide. So he's going to explain the benefits of NO for cardiovascular health, sexual health, neurotransmitters, and we're going to debunk the confusion out there regarding nitric oxide. We first start the conversation with what are the things that people are doing that wipe out and deplete nitric oxide production? That's going to be things like mouthwash, which is dangerous to use, the antiseptic mouthwash, antacids, acid blockers, not good, and other things we're doing to wipe out the body's ability to produce nitric oxide and use that. And by the way, cholesterol, we talk about that and why he is more concerned 
about somebody who's on statins, somebody who has cholesterol under 200, a total cholesterol under under 200, and what that does to block nitric oxide and actually increase risk of heart disease. Oh my gosh. We'll discuss the science of how nitric oxide works inside of your body. But we'll also discuss some of the myths out there with things like methylene blue and some researchers that are authors of the book, different books on methylene blue, what they say about nitric oxide being bad for you. So we'll debunk that. We'll take some of his products during the interview in person. If you want to watch the video interview, it's on our YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash ketocamp. He'll discuss different exercises that produce nitric oxide, different vegetables that produce nitric oxide, and so much more. And of course, the products that he's created is very different than what's out there. He does some different testing with other products and he shows how non-effective they are And even though they say this is going to boost nitric oxide, he has a machine. We talk about that and his machine shows otherwise. And they're just taking people's money. I've been using their products for quite some time. We'll talk about it. We'll drop a link and a coupon code for you to get their products as well, including his book. And he has a brand new book coming out. So a lot to cover. I'm excited to bring on Dr. Nathan Bryan. Before I do, I want to get to today's Apple podcast rating and review of the day. This five-star review comes from Angel. Love the podcast. Ben is informative, knowledgeable, and willing to freely share his secrets of the ketogenic lifestyle. His mission is to reach 1 billion people to get them healthy. That is correct, Angel. Thank you so much. And I love that you called it a ketogenic lifestyle, not necessarily a diet. The the goal is to educate and to inspire a billion people. So I appreciate you listening and leaving the rating and review. It helps us accomplish that goal. If you have not left the show a rating and review yet, please do so on whatever platform you're listening from. And maybe I'll read yours on the next episode. In a couple of days, we have our free diabetes web class. It's a live training all about four secrets to reversing insulin resistance and diabetes. If you have insulin resistance or diabetes or know somebody who does, please make this masterclass. It will change your life. It's free. Head over to diabeteswebclass.com to reserve your spot. And I'll see you this Wednesday, September 6th at 12 p.m. Eastern time. All right, let's discuss nitric oxide with the GOAT of nitric oxide research, Dr. Nathan Bryan. Dr. Nathan Bryan is a scientist, inventor, and founder of and CEO of Nitric Oxide Innovations. He received his bachelor's degree in biochemistry from the University of Texas in Austin, and his doctorate from Louisiana State University School of Medicine in Shreveport. He's a nitric oxide expert. He has been involved in nitric oxide research for the past 20 years and has made many seminal discoveries. His products have helped numerous patients optimize nitric oxide, prevent diseases, and slow aging worldwide. He's the author of Functional Nitric Oxide Nutrition, and he has an upcoming book called The Secret of Nitric Oxide, Bringing the Nitric Oxide to Life. Here is Dr. Nathan Bryan. Dr. Nathan Bryan, welcome back to the show in person this time. In person in beautiful South Florida. Thanks, Ben, for having me. Yeah, you're here a couple times a month, so no big deal for you. It's a home away from home, it seems like. Yeah, well, it's a beautiful place to come to. (laughs) That's right. You were back on uh, episode 484. We're in the 600s now, and we did a deep dive into your backstory, how you became fascinated with this molecule, nitric oxide, this gas. And we're going to take a deep dive today. So for those listening and watching, 
put your thinking cap on. We're going to get a little bit deep into the weeds here. We're going to cover different areas of health and how it relates to nitric oxide. So for those who have no understanding of what nitric oxide does, they might hear about green leafy vegetables or beets and kind of tie it to nitric oxide. But let's take a deep dive into what exactly it does, what are the mechanisms of action within yep. the body, and why it's so important to optimize our nitric oxide levels. Well, it's a gas that's naturally produced in the body. It's produced in the lining of the blood vessels. It's produced in our brain. It's produced by our immune system. And so it's how cells in the body communicate with one another. It's most recognized as its ability to dilate blood vessels and improve oxygen and nutrient delivery to every organ, tissue, and cell in the body. So that's really the basis of what it is. It controls uh, cellular respiration. It controls oxygen delivery to every cell in the body. It controls mitochondrial function, the number of mitochondria and the function of mitochondria in the cells. It controls and regulates the length of your telomeres, which predict mm. longevity. It tells our own stem cells to mobilize and differentiate. So it's how our body recovers from injury and actually repairs and replaces dysfunctional cells. So it's, it's, it's really the holy grail kind of anti-aging medicine and longevity. So the, the problem is when you lose the ability to make nitric oxide, there are a lot of things that go wrong, right? You develop high blood pressure, you develop erectile dysfunction, start to develop mild cognitive disorders, vascular dementia, Alzheimer's, you get a disruption in insulin signaling, develop insulin resistance, type 2 diabetes. It's really everything we've learned over the past 30 years about the onset and progression of chronic disease all relate to the loss of nitric oxide production. It's the earliest event in the onset and progression of disease. Okay. Well, it's pretty much tied to... What else do you need to know? Yeah, it's pretty much tied to everything <laughs> is what I'm hearing. So let's talk about insulin resistance and type 2 diabetes because that's a large majority of my audience and my students that I teach. We know, I would estimate, at least 60% of Americans are diabetic or pre-diabetic. Mm -hmm. Probably more, Nathan, because they're not really testing. They have no idea. But let's be real. It'll take 10 to 15 years before a person is even diagnosed with diabetes. In the meantime, they have hyperinsulinemia, big glucose and insulin spikes. And then 10, 15 years later, their blood sugars change. How does nitric oxide relate to that condition? What is going on if somebody does not produce enough nitric oxide? How is that creating insulin resistance and leading to type 2 diabetes? What's the mechanism there? It still is a very important question. And mechanistically, the scientific literature didn't provide any real evidence on how nitric oxide plays a role in insulin signaling and glucose uptake. So in 2009, we set out to kind of figure out what was the role of nitric oxide in insulin signaling and glucose uptake. So at that time, we knew that when you had a glucose spike or after a high-carbohydrate meal, your pancreas secretes insulin. Insulin goes to primary your muscle, your liver, and adipose cells. And then starts this intracellular signaling cascade where it activates, you know, PI3, AKT kinase, AMP kinase, which is the target of metformin. And then that would activate really the terminal process in glucose uptake, and that's a GLUT4 translocation. So GLUT4 is a protein that's inside of most cells that when it gets the signal, it goes to the membrane and it binds glucose from the circulation and then pulls it out of the circulation. So it regulates blood sugar levels. But if GLUT4 doesn't get the signal go to the membrane, then you don't get glucose clearance. You get hyperglycemia. Your pancreas senses it, so it secretes more insulin. You get hyperinsulinemia, hyperglycemia, and uncontrolled that leads to insulin resistance type 2 diabetes and the systemic inflammation that occurs due to the hyperinsulinemia. So our question was where, if anywhere, does nitric oxide play a role in that signaling? And what we discovered and published was that GLUT4, the signal that tells the GLUT4 protein to go to the membrane and bind glucose, 
is nitric oxide. Oh, wow. So there's two cysteine residues that are conserved throughout evolution. And it's the post-translational modification of those two cysteine residues that's necessary and sufficient for GLUT4 translocation, increased glucose uptake, and you completely overcome insulin resistance. So whether you're taking metformin to activate AMP kinase, AMP kinase tells nitric oxide synthase enzyme to make nitric oxide, but if the enzyme is dysfunctional, it doesn't get the signal. Same thing with PI3AKT kinase. It leads to phosphorylation of ENOS. If that enzyme isn't functional, it doesn't make nitric oxide. You get a breakdown in communication and insulin resistance. So we showed in that study mechanistically how nitric oxide works, and we could overcome insulin resistance type 2 diabetes just by giving nitric oxide and recapitulating that endogenous signaling mechanism. It's even simpler now because we've known for decades that diabetes, type 2 diabetes is completely reversible yeah. by diet and lifestyle. So compliance is an issue, right? Nobody wants to change your diet. Nobody wants to exercise more. But now we know if the mechanism of that is all on nitric oxide production. So if we restore nitric oxide production, we restore insulin signaling and basically overcome all the metabolic phenotypes of type 2 diabetes. Why are so many people deficient in nitric oxide? Well, there's, I mean, a number. It seems like the American lifestyle makes you deficient <laughs> in nitric oxide. In many things, <laughs> yeah. nitric oxide being and one of them. And pharmacology. So we understand that, you know, a poor diet, a high glycemic diet leads to glycation of nitric oxide synthase enzyme, just like it glycates the hemoglobin in terms of hemoglobin A1C. We know that lack of physical activity and movement, you lose nitric oxide, develop endothelial dysfunction. Things like mouthwash use. You know, we published years ago that if you use mouthwash, it kills the oral microbiome that are responsible for making nitric oxide. You become nitric oxide deficient. Your blood pressure goes up. Uh, you develop erectile dysfunction. A lot of bad things happen. The other issue is drugs like photon pump inhibitors or antacids. Mm. These drugs have been shown to completely shut down nitric oxide production. And people are popping them like and Skittles. People, yeah, these, these drugs were never approved for long-term use by the FDA, only acute use. But yet you've got people taking these drugs every day for 5, 10, 15 years. you got over-the-counter uh, antacids now. And in 2015, it was recognized that these drugs, people who had been on PPIs for 3 to 5 years have a 35% higher incidence of heart attack and stroke mm. because of the shutdown in nitric oxide production. Just last week, there was another study out that people who had been on these drugs for 3 to 5 years have a 40% increase in vascular dementia and Alzheimer's. Jeez. So these drugs are extremely dangerous. They should never be used chronically. They shut down nitric oxide production and cause the onset and progression of heart attack, stroke, and Alzheimer's. Um, so those are the, and then the fluoride is an issue because it's an antiseptic. It's yeah. in toothpaste, it's in municipal water supply. Uh, those are the biggies. And then cholesterol-lowering medications used chronically mm. you know, disrupt kind of the lipid rafts in the membrane and disrupt cell signaling. They're mitochondrial toxicants. Uh, so it's really... Diet, the improper diet, improper lifestyle, and standard pharmacotherapy all lead to disruption in nitric oxide production. Let's tackle each of those. Let's start with diet. You mentioned yep. eating a high-carbohydrate diet. The average American consumes 300 grams plus of carbs per day. And, Nathan, they're eating it throughout the day, yeah. all day long, pretty grazing. much. Yep. Grazing. They're grazing. All, and we're not designed to be grazers. We're yep. really not. So they have glucose response, insulin response, up and down, up and down. That's depleting nitric oxide, as you mentioned, because of these advanced glycation end products. So the first step is to eat more of a keto or a lower carbohydrate approach and get rid of the snacking is what I'm hearing. Absolutely. Okay, so that'll take care of nutrition. Mouthwash. When you say mouthwash, do you mean all mouthwash or the ones that are the standard ones, the Listerines, the one that have might have fluoride? What about the mouthwashes that use things like 
tea tree oil, oregano, different uh, natural antimicrobials, coconut oil, et cetera? Yeah, there's a lot of things we don't know, so I'll tell you what we do know. Okay. Stringent antiseptics, things like chlorhexidine, the prescription antiseptic that's used for chronic halitosis, periodontal disease, a lot of dentists use it. But we've also tested things like Scope, Listerine, the alcohol-based mouthwash, the ones with fluoride. These products do exactly as they're advertised. You see the commercials. kills 99.9% of the bacteria yeah. in your mouth. Good and bad. Good and bad. And it, it turns out that it's actually a really bad thing. So when you disrupt the oral microbiome, it shuts down nitric oxide production. We published, I believe it was in 2012, that if you use mouthwash, your blood pressure goes up. I was on the doctor's show several years ago revealing that if you use mouthwash, you lose the cardioprotective benefits of exercise. So think about this. You try to do all the right things. You try to eat a good diet. You try to get moderate physical exercise. But if you use in mouthwash, you eliminate the entire cardioprotective benefits of everything you're doing. So, you know, there's a reason we don't take an antibiotic every day for the rest of our lives because the disruption in the gut microbiome. It's like dropping a nuke. It'll take care yeah. of the bad guys that we want to get to, but also the, the civilians that... Yeah, it's collateral damage that causes systemic... It wreaks havoc on the body. You know, the microbiome, the bacteria that live in and on our body, outnumber on cells 10 to 1. Mm -hmm. So we eradicate those to our own demise. So we have to maintain a healthy microbiome. So why would anybody kill the oral microbiome every day, sometimes twice a day, for the rest of their life? There's 200 million Americans that use mouthwash every day. There's 200 million Americans with an unsafe elevation in blood pressure. Now we know that it's not coincidental. It's causal. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that is a huge correlation right there. And not just correlation, you have studies to back it up. Yep. You mentioned exercise. A sedentary lifestyle is going to be problematic. So let's talk Absolutely. about specific exercises that you know have been proven to instantly raise nitric oxide. Number one, you need oxygen to make nitric oxide. Number two, you need nitric oxide to deliver oxygen. Mm. So there's a balance in, in how we exercise. So the data tell us that 20 to 30 minutes of aerobic exercise, getting your heart rate up to say 120, 130 beats a minute for 20 or 30 minutes, that provides the aerobic capacity and sufficient oxygen to where it stimulates nitric oxide production and improves endothelial function. When we reach that anaerobic threshold, then we run out of oxygen, we can't make nitric oxide, we go into anaerobic metabolism, we get lactic acid buildup, soreness, recovery is poor. So if we can maintain some aerobic capacity, we stimulate nitric oxide production, and then that improves exercise performance. So that's one, and it's just, I think the data are very clear for hundreds of years now that that's cardioprotective and, and healthy way of doing things. The other thing I like is resistance exercise. Mm -hmm. You know, because when you're constantly contracting muscles and putting resistance, not only makes your bones stronger so you don't develop osteoporosis, but it leads to what's called intermittent hypoxia or intermittent ischemia. So when your muscles contract, you're squeezing the blood vessels, so there's a period of intermittent hypoxia or ischemia. And then when you relax, you get blood flow. Mm -hmm. And this intermittent hypoxia has been shown to what's called ischemic preconditioning. So it preconditions that tissue from injury. And it does that because it's kind of like a, a part of hormesis. Mm -hmm. It's an intermittent kind of a brief insult that then tells that tissue, hey, I don't want to run out of oxygen again. I need to make more nitric oxide, create some more collaterals, create vascularity, increase blood flow. So I think what the data tell us is, and this is what I do personally, I do 20, 30 minutes of cardio every day. I try not to get my heart rate up more than 130. So it's a light. Specifically for those workouts to get for the nitric oxide. Yeah. yeah. But th th does that mean you're never getting your heart rate up over th 130? No. So here's, here's what I do. I have a kind of a different protocol every day. Okay. So typically I'll start out with 20 or 30 minutes of cardio, just 
kind of burn calories, burn the sugar. And then I'll do 20, 30 minutes of resistance weight training. Mm-hmm. And then typically two to three times a week I'll do, and it depends on timing, right? Because we're all busy and we have to make time. Yeah, to and you're traveling all the time. But I will do, you know, a 10 to 15 minute high, intervi- high intensity interval training. Where that, I push my body to reach that anaerobic threshold and I go to fatigue, I recover. And then if I have 10 to 15 minutes, then that is a little bit more abrupt kind of insult. But I think the data are clear in terms of remodeling and the ability to make nitric oxide. So I think we have to integrate all that and really prepare our body for anything that we encounter in life. Yeah, that makes sense. You mentioned hormesis, which is something I think we should view everything we do in that lens of hormesis. Is it a positive stress or is it a negative stress, right? So hormesis is the principle that doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger essentially, (laughs) right? So some exercise and you adapt, great. You get the nitric oxide boost, you recover, you get stronger. Too much exercise, you get the opposite effect, that hormetic ceiling we want to continue to raise. I know cold exposure is a great hormetic stress as well. And it's very popular nowadays. I think a lot of people hear about cold exposure and the, the popularity of it. Wim Hof talks about it. You have these cold plunge coaches or whatever they're called. And I think a lot of people do too much of it where they actually feel too wiped out the rest of the day. Their mitochondria didn't adapt. But let's say somebody is finding a good sweet spot for cold exposure. They're feeling more energized. What's happening with nitric oxide there? Because I know it's very similar with the blood flow going to your vascular system, going to your organs, and then being flushed out to your extremities. So is that a good way to boost nitric oxide as well? You know, I'm not aware of any data looking at cold exposure and kind of the upregulation of nitric oxide production. But I think it's all about regulation of blood flow, right? So when you're exposed to cold and you get in an ice bath, it's basically shutting down the blood supply to the extremities because you want to conserve heat. That's yeah. how our body responds. The innate intelligence doesn't innate care about intelligence. losing your fingers, but no, it wants no. to... So it basically internalizes your, your circulatory system yeah. so you don't lose the radiative heat from the cold exposure. And then when you get out, obviously your ability to respond and dilate blood vessels and restore blood flow to those areas that have now been hypoxic due to the cold exposure for, I don't know, two, three, four minutes, whatever the cold exposure time is. But I think people have to be careful. You know, there's some people with underlying health conditions, they shouldn't push their body to these extremes. So we have to be very careful. I think in terms of inducing hormesis and creating that brief insult that your body can adapt to, right? Because it's an adaptive response. Our body, we're exposed to this kind of shock and then our body goes, oh, I need to prepare for that. So it undergoes these adaptive changes. We improve mitochondrial function, the number of mitochondria, energy production, and the regulation of blood flow. Mm-hmm. So in general, that's how the body works in terms of adaptation. But I'm not aware of any studies that have looked at nitric oxide production specifically as it relates to cold exposure plunges. It would be fascinating. And, you know, yeah. ketosis is sim- similar, you know, it, a mitochondrial biogenesis and what it does, because it's kind of a stress. Your body thinks you're going through a famine. That's, that's why right. I love keto short term, but not long term, because there's that hermetic curve that, that drops Hey, when was the last time you bit into a juicy burger or a perfectly cooked steak and thought to yourself, this is the best thing I've ever tasted? If it's been a while, it's probably because most meat products are conventionally raised, which not only affects the flavor profile, but significantly diminishes the beneficial nutrients and minerals. And believe it or not, even products that are labeled as grass-fed or ethically raised to make you think they're high quality, are often finished on grain or in factory farms, which is why I am so excited to share something with you today that will not only help you avoid the hormones, antibiotics, and pesticide residues that diminish the taste of conventionally raised meat, 
but could also save you nearly $1,000 over the next year on your grocery bill. And the best part, this may be the best tasting thing you've had in a long time. So what the heck am I talking about? I'm talking about Wild Pastures Meat Delivery. They provide the highest quality meats from small, regenerative, family-run farms here in the United States that prioritize sustainability and animal welfare. Their beef is 100% grass-fed. Their pork and poultry are pasture-raised, something you won't find anywhere in the grocery store, resulting in meats that are not only healthier for you, but also better for the environment. One of the reasons why me and my fiance Natasia loves wild pastures is that we can opt out out of supporting harmful conventional farming practices and instead support small family-run farms without spending a fortune. And the convenience doesn't stop there. They offer delivery straight to your door so you can enjoy delicious, high-quality meats without even leaving your house. No matter where you are in the lower 48 states, Wild Pastures has got you covered. Not only is this the most convenient way to get your meat products, but Wild Pasture meats are better for you nutritionally, and they're higher in the total nutrients, phytonutrients, antioxidants, key fatty acids, vitamins, minerals, proteins, and amino acids. And today, for keto campers, for a limited time, you can get 20% off every box plus free shipping for life and $15 off your first box. This is a crazy deal, and I hope you take advantage of it. So make the switch to Wild Pastures today and save nearly $1,000 on your grocery bill while feeling healthier and enjoying the best-tasting meats of your life. All you need to do is go to the link in the podcast notes down below. Everything is already applied. All you got to do is click that link, customize your order, and you'll have some delicious, healthy-tasting meats very soon. Head to the podcast notes down below, click the link, enjoy your wild pastures. Okay, let's get right back to this episode. You mentioned cholesterol, and I think this is a very interesting topic because you said that, uh, I think on the last episode, that you're more concerned if somebody has a cholesterol, total cholesterol of less than 200 versus somebody who has a higher cholesterol. Explain that and what it does to block nitric oxide. Well, you know, cholesterol, our body makes cholesterol. Mm-hmm. And so our body doesn't make mistakes, right? If our body needs cholesterol, our body's going to make it yeah. on demand. And so we get cholesterol from the diet. And we also get it through endogenous production. Cholesterol is also the backbone for things like testosterone, estrogen, vitamin D. So if our cholesterol gets too low, we can't make hormones for vitamin D. And we have a global epidemic of yeah. testosterone deficiency in men and hormone um, and balances in and, women and, and vitamin D deficiency. Yeah, and vitamin D, correct. Our body heals itself, right? Our body senses what's going on, then self-corrects. But if we have a drug that inhibits endogenous cholesterol production, which is what a statin does, then our body can't respond. So if it senses that we're not getting enough cholesterol or that we need to make it, then the body can't. And the consequences of that are obviously obvious now. Because these drugs have been on the market what, 25, 30 years there's data showing that there's a higher incidence of type 2 diabetes. Some data coming out now for vascular dementia and Alzheimer's, even cancer because they're mitochondrial toxicants. When we talk about cell signaling, which I'm a biochemist and physiologist by training, so when we look at extracellular binding and then intracellular signaling, it's the integrity of the membrane, which is made up of cholesterol and fatty acids and, and a lipid bilayer. 
there's not enough cholesterol in there, you lose the membrane fluidity. Mm-hmm. You lose the communication between the outside of the cell and the inside of the cell. And then the cholesterol acts as like a, an insulator, a capacitor that maintains the transmembrane potential. So a normal cell operates at minus 25 millivolts, which is, to use the Ernst equation, it's a positive, it's a pH of 7.4. That's the potential of a particular pH. If you lose that transmembrane potential and that capacitor effect of the cholesterol, then you lose that transmembrane potential, you lose all the intracellular signaling and bad things happen. Mm. And it does this because a lot of the intracellular proteins are connected to the extracellular ligands through this transmembrane protein. If you don't have cholesterol in there, that protein complex falls apart, and now you've lost signaling from outside to inside. And that's really truly a disruption in cell signaling. So we have to have cholesterol to do that. And if we're getting our cholesterol below 200, which seems to be the, the standard now or the standard of care. Now, on that note real quick, my fiance used to work for a company, a corporate company, and they used to reward their employees for the person who has the lowest amount of cholesterol. They used to get a bonus. <laughs> well, you know, maybe it doesn't surprise me. But I think <laughs> it's, it's the biggest myth that's ever been perpetuated in the medical sciences. Mm. Cholesterol does not cause heart disease. 50% of the people who die from sudden cardiac arrest have normal cholesterol levels. I know, it's that crazy. Oh so why gosh. would we lower cholesterol when it has no bearing on the outcome of heart attack and stroke? Now, there's other things. We can look at kind of an advanced lipid panel. Total cholesterol, HDL, LDL have no bearing whatsoever on prognosis or cardiac risk. It's some of the lipoprotein particle number and size and the amount of oxidized lipoprotein that can really give us a sense of what's going on in terms of uh, cardiovascular risk. But total cholesterol is pointless. HDL, LDL ratios are completely pointless. But yet, if you go to your physician, that's what they're measuring. Yeah. It has no, absolutely no bearing or prognostic value whatsoever. And, and most of them are not looking at the particle sizes of the yeah. LDL. They're not looking if it's the small, more inflammatory type. Or and the they large. think that lower is better, right? So the lower your cholesterol, the better. Yeah. But they don't have, they forget the basic biochemistry they learned in medical school. And I taught in medical schools for 15 years. We teach them biochemistry and physiology, then they learn pharmacology and billing and coding, and then they forget everything about biochemistry and physiology. <laughs> well, that's so we have to brainwashing. Yeah, the human body heals itself. We just got to get out of the way. Yeah, physicians and drugs don't heal patients. Patients heal themselves. Oh, so true. So just to recap what you said for those who you know, you went a little bit deep there. So I want to just break it down. We have about thirty to seventy trillion cells, you know, give or take, depending on how, how large the person is. Every cell has this lipid bilayer around it, the cell membrane, which I believe, I think you do too. It's That's where the intelligence is, not the DNA, right? That's where uh, Dr. Bruce Lipton has proven. You remove the membrane, instant death. You remove the DNA, it's still, the cell still functions. So the membrane is the wisdom and that's what's allowing good things in, nutrients, oxygen, thoughts, other amazing processes, and then bad things out, inflammation, reactive oxygen species. So with low cholesterol, it disrupts that permeability, makes it too rigid, or too permeable? Well, you lose, you lose the, the fluidity of the membrane. So the good and, things can't get in, bad things can't get out. Yeah, but I think more, most importantly is you lose the transmembrane potential because okay. there has to be a charge difference, an electrical potential inside of the cell versus outside of the cell. Without that cholesterol, which acts almost like an insulator or a capacitor to maintain that charge differential. Now, if you lose that, then cells become, they kind of switch their polarity. So now a cell will operate at a plus 30 millivolts instead of a minus 25 millivolts, which is a pH of about 6.4. So you become acidic, Mm. you're acidotic, your mitochondrial become uncoupled, called the Warburg effect, Mm -hmm. and now you're you're setting the stage for cancer and cancer cell proliferation and growth. 
Mitochondria, you mentioned that we know the mitochondria also have their own membrane. And you yeah. said the word lipid raft. Were you referring to cardiolipin when you said that? What did you mean by lipid raft earlier? Well, the lipid rafts, so the lipids, the, the membrane is made up of lipids. Okay. Right? So these are fat-soluble compounds, and they maintain kind of the, the difference between the aqueous part inside the cell and the outside of the cell. So cardiolipin is one of those, and it's obviously isolated to cardiac myocytes or isolated from there. But even in the mitochondrial inner membrane space, we have to maintain that charge differential. And when we lose that, because it's really that charge across the inner mitochondrial membrane space that allows for this flow of electrons to reduce oxygen to ATP and like in water. Mm -hmm. Without that charge differential, you get a disruption in the flow of electrons, you get oxidative stress, you get activation of caspase, you get apoptosis, necrosis, and mitochondria become dysfunctional. So it's all, everything we know about energetics and metabolism in human physiology revolves around a proper membrane potential, proper mitochondrial function, and proper nitric oxide production to get the good stuff in, take the bad stuff out. That makes sense. So cholesterol is vital. vital. The cells are made of it. God they didn't make any mistakes there. That's it's right. like it's there for a reason. So if you have a low cholesterol, got to increase it, uh, get an advanced panel done if you're concerned. I mean, if all else fails, you could just go get a calcium score to see if there's any calcium built up, right? then you'll know if it's actually problematic or not. Your book, this, you have two books. This is one of the books. You have a new book coming out next year, I think you said. This book is called Functional Nitric Oxide Nutrition, Dietary Strategies to Prevent and Treat Chronic Disease. But go get it. We'll link for it. In the book, I, I referenced this chapter six here. <laughs> I want to talk about this <laughs> yeah. real quick because I love carnivore. You know, yeah. I'm not 100% carnivore, but I do really well with meat. You're a Texas guy. You love meat too. Absolutely. But we know that there is a lot of hate that vegetables get in the carnivore space. <laughs> and uh, it's anti-nutrients, oxalates, lectins. And I understand that, especially when somebody has intestinal permeability, right. like remove it, fix the gut. Then I think bring it back in. Some people say remove them forever, but they kind of forget the hormesis principle. But this chapter is titled Why Vegetables Are Good For You. So explain the role of vegetables as it relates to nitric oxide, sure. some of the, your favorite ones and some of the ones we should avoid. Well, going back probably hundreds of years, you know, it's known there's there's some pretty solid evidence, and this is work by Caldwell Esselstein of a plant-based diet reversing coronary artery disease. So he would take patients who had advanced coronary artery disease, put them on a plant-based diet, and in some patients he would see almost complete regression of disease. So for us as a biochemist, I take important observations like that and try to understand how can we take that really interesting observation and assign a mechanism of action to it, right? Because then if we understand the mechanism of action, now we can design specific protocols or products or drugs to recapitulate that mechanism of action. So we found out, and, and for years people thought, well, it was the uh, vitamins, minerals, antioxidants in plants or vegetables that afforded the, the cardioprotection and the reversal of disease. Well, we and others discovered what is the nitrate content in the vegetables. So dark green leafy vegetables are high in what's called inorganic nitrate. Nitrate is what's assimilated in the plant from the fertilizers. So we can add potassium nitrate, we can add ammonia, we can add nitrogen-based fertilizers. The soil uses that, the plants assimilate it, and it allows for the transport of other nutrients. So nitrate is inert in humans. So, but when we consume these vegetables, 90 minutes after we consume them, the nitrate is taken up in the gut, concentrated in our salivary glands, now, each time we salivate for the next six, eight, 10 hours, we're secreting nitrate in the mouth. Mm. If we have the bacteria to yeah, do it. Yeah, then so 
nitrate is inert. So then we identified some nitrate-reducing bacteria on the dorsal part of the tongue that reduce nitrate to nitrite and nitric oxide. So now, if we have these bacteria, they perform that two-electron reduction of nitrate to nitrite. Then we swallow our own saliva, now enriched in nitrite. And the pKa of nitrite is 3.4, meaning at pH 3.4, nitrite becomes protonated and it makes nitric oxide gas. Mm. So now when we swallow our own saliva, we're getting nitric oxide gas produced in the lumen of the stomach. Interesting. And that nitric oxide that's produced in the stomach from swallowing our saliva kills things like H. pylori, mm. the ulcer-causing bacteria. It'll kill things like E. coli, salmonella, botulism, any bacteria that may be on the food or the vegetable you're eating. It's killed very effectively by that process. So now we had a mechanism that you could eat a plant-based diet, restore nitric oxide production, and actually reverse cardiovascular disease. <laughs> but what we're finding is, and this was... And I've had a number of conversations with Dr. Esselstein was not all his patients responded. Some got better, some didn't. And we explain that now because and we published this in 2015. There's high variability in the nitrate content of vegetables. So there's no way to predict how much you're going to get from eating kale or spinach or arugula or celery. Depends on where they're grown, how they're grown, when you consume them. Mm-hmm. The other issue was you got to have the right oral bacteria. So if you're using mouthwash, out of three Americans use mouthwash, you're not going to get the nitric oxide benefits of that plant-based diet. So you're not going to get any improvements in your clinical condition. And then the other issue is people on antacids completely shut down nitric oxide production. How many people take antacids? Do you know? Well, there's 200 million prescriptions written in the U.S. every year. That's just the number of prescriptions written. That's not counting the -the over-the-counter because you can go to a drugstore now or Walmart or Walgreens or CVS and buy Prevacid, OTC or Prilosec or Nexium without a prescription. So I think it's the majority, probably 75, 80% of the U.S. is on some type of antacid. You wonder why heart disease is the number one killer. To me, it's no wonder why heart disease, cardiovascular disease is the number one killer. Because everything we're doing is shutting down nitric oxide production. And I think that's why we have to empower people, give them this information, because these are very simple solutions. If you're using mouthwash, stop. If you're using antacids, stop. If you're using fluoride, Get rid of it. A statin, free toothpaste. Get off if you're of on it, cholesterol yeah. lowering medication, get off of it. Uh, it's not protecting you. The evidence is very clear. It doesn't protect you from a first event or a subsequent event if you've already had a heart attack or stroke. So we have, oh my gosh, the number one killer in the U.S. is heart disease. And right. these, like you said, are- so It's around the world. Around the world, yeah. right? And then it's cancer. And then in America, the third is uh, medical mistakes, like <laughs> mistakes made in the hospital. It's insane. I was looking at, because we live in America- which is an incredible country. I'm so grateful to live here. There's some pitfalls to living here. Like one of those pitfalls is they allow big pharma to market directly to the consumer. And there are only two countries in the world that allow that, the United States and New Zealand. So I don't watch TV, cable TV, but my mother does. Yeah, smart. My mom does. And I have dinner with her every Thursday. So I go to her apartment here in Bay Harbor Islands, me and my fiance, and she's watching her Hallmark or whatever it is. She loves cable TV on her day off. And then the commercials come on and it's medication, big pharma, fast food. So I looked up some research and I saw that 75% of all of the advertisements on TV, the commercials are from big pharma, 75%, 11% plus is from fast food. So you wonder why we're just being bombarded and people think that is the solution. But what happens at the end of the commercial? Side effects may include this, this, that. And you wonder how could people take this with these crazy radical side effects? If people listen to the commercial rather than watch them, <laughs> yeah. nobody in their right mind would take any of these drugs that are, that are advertised. Because it may be a 30-second commercial, 
the 20 seconds of those are the listing of the adverse Correct. side effects and things that could happen. I'm glad they have to list them, by the way. Well, it's not that they that. could happen. It means that during the clinical trials and the FDA That's approval, they, they actually happened. Yeah. So they have to disclose that. And so I, I encourage people, don't watch TV because <laughs> yeah, we don't. <laughs> My mom doesn't listen to me. It's her day off and yeah. she's like, I'm going to enjoy like, there's no There's no good news on TV. Yeah, there's not. And so stop watching TV. But if you do, listen to those commercials. Then ask yourself, do I want to have one of these potential side effects on this right. drug? And for me, it's about risk-benefit. What's the risk versus the benefit? And for me, in most drugs, the risk far outweighs any benefit, right? So for me, the, the, the risk-benefit quotient provides a very simple answer. I don't do it. I don't take any of these medications because it's not how the human body is designed. Give the body what it needs. Get rid of the things it doesn't need. The body heals itself. Well, that's your, see, that's what separates us, I think, from the majority of people. Our premise is different. I just that's heard right. from you that we have a premise that the body has innate intelligence. We remove the in interference and this inner physician goes to work. Most people have been brainwashed to believe that it's not the body that heals itself. It's this drug or this surgery. So they have a different premise, right? So I think understanding that the body is built to be self-healing like you said earlier, we just have to remove the interference. And a lot of the time right. we're doing the interference and those symptoms are a gift, right? It's the check engine light. Thank God we have this mechanism for the mm -hmm. body to show us. Don't mask it up with these symptoms, uh, with these medications, excuse me. One of those medications or a few of them is Viagra and Cialis. And I want to talk about that because I know there are some similarities to what those medications do for nitric oxide. Those are the pros, but what are the cons to taking those sort of medications? Yep. Well, these drugs are called phosphodiesterase inhibitors. They inhibit a specific enzyme called phosphodiesterase, which breaks down a, a, a second messenger called cyclic GMP. These drugs were originally developed for things like ischemic heart disease and pulmonary hypertension. Because let me take a step back and talk about nitric oxide signaling. So when nitric oxide is produced, it binds to an enzyme called soluble guanylocyclase. This enzyme converts GTP or guanosine triphosphate into cyclic GMP. And cyclic GMP is the second messenger that leads to smooth muscle relaxation and vasodilation. So it was thought if you could enhance vasodilation, you could overcome pulmonary hypertension, you could dilate the coronary arteries and relieve things like ischemic heart disease. During those clinical trials, one of the number one side effects that was reported from the patients in the clinical trial were really good erections. So Pfizer being somewhat yeah. astute in terms of looking at market size, realized that if we change this and developed an indication for erectile dysfunction instead of pulmonary hypertension or ischemic heart disease, you're going to have a much broader market. The company would make more money. And here we are 25 years later. Obviously, these drugs are very popular. They're effective. But we now know that they only work in 50% of the men in which they're prescribed. So again, another interesting observation. It's published in the scientific literature. Now we have to work back and figure out why is that? Yeah. Why are there non-responders to Viagra? And understanding the signaling aspects of nitric oxide, we now understand that. So when you, if you can't make nitric oxide, you have complete endothelial dysfunction because you're using mouthwash for that lifestyle or you're using in acids, then you don't get any activation guanylocyclase. You don't get any accumulation of cyclic GMP. So there's no substrate for these drugs to work on, right? So that told us, number one, erectile dysfunction isn't a symptom of overactive phosphodesterase. If it did, then the phosphodesterase inhibitors would work and 100% of the people, and you could you would have 100% benefit. makes sense. Benefit. But if the patient can't make nitric oxide, these drugs don't work. So it told us 
ED, erectile dysfunction, is a symptom of insufficient nitric oxide production. So now we take that back to the clinic. So now we go from the clinic to the bedside. We model it, go back to the bedside. Now, if we improve nitric oxide production, we improve that whole signaling cascade. We get cyclic GMP produced. Now you get vasodilation. And now these drugs can actually extend that and potentiate the effects of nitric oxide signaling. So we can take non-responders, make them responders if we restore nitric oxide production. And you can actually lower the dose of these drugs to mitigate the side effects. So nitric oxide kind of turns the switch on and Viagra leaves it on, right? There's no off switch anymore. So that's why you're warned against four-hour erections, yeah. uh, really bad headaches, the blue vision, uh, an unsafe drop in blood pressure. So our body's designed to have some sort of regulation. Mm-hmm. With these PD-5 inhibitors, you lose the regulation. Turn the switch on, but you're going to leave it on. And so you have to warn, and, and people always ask, well, what's the problem with four-hour erection? Well, it leads to necrosis, and you'll, you know, your, your organ will become completely necrotic and dysfunctional because in erections in both men and women, you get engorgement, right? That engorgement is due to nitric oxide production dilating the blood vessels, so now you get engorgement. And then it prevents the outflow, right? And so that's what maintains an erection in both men and women. So if you're not getting new blood supply and it's fully oxygenated for a period of time, that tissue becomes hypoxic, over time it can become necrotic, and then it's non-responsive. You've got a dead organ. So people joke about four-hour erections, but they're completely, I mean, you have, this is a serious, serious problem. And in many cases, you have to go to the ER and with a needle actually exsanguinate the Jeez. organ to allow for it to get new blood supply and fully oxygenated. Yeah. So these drugs aren't really meant to be played with, if you will. I mean, there's serious consequences, and you have to understand the signaling aspects and the pharmacology of the drugs to use them not only safely, but effectively and enhance their effects. That's wild. So if somebody is not producing nitric oxide because they're on mouthwash, they're on these antacids, whatever reason, let's say they stop doing all that because they're listening to this or watching this and they're inspired. Okay, Dr. Nathan Bryan convinced me. I'm, I'm going to stop using it. I'm going to start doing some exercise, eating some green leafy vegetables, making maybe taking some of your supplements, which we'll talk about. How soon will the body adapt and start producing nitric oxide? Well, mechanistically, we know from, let's take mouthwash, for example, because we published on this in 2019. And in this study, we took young, healthy, normal, tensive people who were good athletes, and we just put them on a mouthwash for seven days. And then after seven days, we stopped for four days and see, okay, what happens in seven days to their blood pressure? What happens to their oral microbiome? And then after four days, what happens? So in one individual, 21-year-old triathlete, dental student, in seven days of mouthwash, we made him clinically hypertensive. We increased his blood pressure 21 millimeters of mercury. We didn't change his diet. We didn't change his exercise routine. All we did was give him mouthwash. And we'd completely disrupt the oral microbiome. We did daily tongue scrapings. And, you know, we didn't get, you know, we got probably 95% kill, not 99.99, because these bacteria are pretty resilient. Mm-hmm. We're using this twice a day. So after seven days, we made him clinically hypertensive. And then we stopped. And four days later, his blood pressure completely normalized. His oral microbiome had completely repopulated. The diversity increased. And his blood pressure came down. Wow. So that tells us that the microbiome is extremely resilient. So if you just stop after four days, and I think it would probably mirror the same response if you get rid of fluoride, four days, although fluoride may stay around a little longer than these antiseptic alcohol-based mouthwash. But the body's resilient. As you mentioned, let's get out of the way, get out of its way and let us do its job. So in terms of exercise, you know, three to four days of moderate physical exercise, people already see an improvement in the filial function. 
So again, the body is really resilient. And if you stop doing what's disrupting nitric oxide production and start doing the things that promote it and stimulate it, the body responds. How do you test? How do you know if you're producing enough nitric oxide? Don't you develop some way of testing that? Yeah, years ago, probably 15 years ago, I developed a salivary test strip because that was the number one thing asked. How do I know if I need nitric oxide? Mm-hmm. So we were aware of this chemistry that we could, we could pick up in the saliva. I developed a, a saliva test. It was really the first point of care, non-invasive diagnostic for nitric oxide. Uh, I tell people it's a good tool to have in your toolbox, but it shouldn't be the only thing you're using because now we know there's a n- number of false positives. If you've got, you know, the, the case was a 50-year-old obese, hypertensive, diabetic with erectile dysfunction. Yeah, you know they're not producing enough. And he spits on the test strip and he lights it up like a Christmas tree. Interesting. So what's the problem? Well, he has an active dental infection. And now it's a local immune response in the mucosa that's generating a lot of nitric oxide showing up in the saliva. So it's a false positive. And it's a serious false positive, right? Because obviously this guy is not replete in nitric oxide. So really the only way we tell is through a functional device called flow-mediated dilatation. There's a number of these devices out there. One's called the endopath. The other is a cardiograde device, but really what it looks at is the functional response to how well your blood vessels are producing nitric oxide. And we call that reactive hyperemia. What kind of test is it? Is it a cuff device? Is it a blood test? Yeah, no, it's a cuff device. So you basically put a, put a blood pressure cuff on your upper arm and you blow it up to super systolic level. So you're basically impeding any blood flow into the forearm. Then either you can get an ultrasound or you can use a temperature probe on the end of the index finger. Huh. So you basically occlude the blood supply for five minutes. And you're going to get a little bit tingly. It's, it, it's not completely uncomfortable, but it's kind of like falling asleep on your arm and your yeah, arm falling asleep. a little bit of something. Because there's no, there's no blood flow getting to the, to yep. the uh, forearm. And then when you release the cuff, the normal physiological response is your body senses, this tissue has been out of oxygen for five minutes. I need to get there fast. So the blood vessels make a lot of nitric oxide. It dilates the blood vessels. Now we get really efficient perfusion of that hypoxic tissue. But if the blood vessels don't make nitric oxide, you don't get any resultant vasodilation. There's no reactive hyperemia. and That's a diagnosis for endothelial dysfunction. Mm, interesting. How do you get that test done? Do like chiropractic offices have them clinics or do you have to go to your medical doctor? No, I think there are a number of clinics. These are FDA approved medical devices. They have a reimbursement code. It's used as a diagnostic. So you've just got to find a clinic, kind of a functional integrative mm-hmm. practitioner that understands endothelial dysfunction and has these tools and devices to measure it. But it's a very, very effective and prognostic medical device. Yeah, that's interesting. I haven't heard of those actually, but I'm curious to use that with some of my students. Hey, Keto Camper, there's something that I do every single day to supercharge my mitochondria to help with inflammation and soreness from a workout, and that is the use of red light therapy. This is called photobiomodulation, and there's a ton of research that shows the benefits of near-infrared and red light therapy. The red light therapy that I use is from Bon Charge. I simply use it 10 to 20 minutes per day. It has both near-infrared and red light, and every single day when I use this, I feel ready to take on my day. So whether you're dealing with gut pain, joint inflammation, or you want to just supercharge your mitochondria get your hands on a quality red light therapy device. And I highly recommend the one from Bond Charge. They hooked you all up for being a Keto Camp podcast listener with a 15% off coupon code. All you need to do, check out this product and all the wonderful products they have available is to go to bondcharge.com slash ketocamp and use the coupon code ketocamp at checkout 
to save 15% off your order. We will drop that link and coupon code in the podcast notes. Go check it out. And let's get right back to this episode. All right, let's talk about supplementation. You have some great supplements. If you're watching on YouTube, we have them here, a few of them. We have some NO lozenges. We have some of the powdered ones, and then we have some skincare products. But before we get into these, I know that there are a lot of nitric oxide companies out there. Uh, You've seen more than I have. And they claim, you know, boost nitric oxide, this beet powder, this powder, and you've been doing something really interesting and pretty <laughs> pretty ballsy on Instagram where you have a, a, I want you to explain it. Actually, on YouTube, we're going to show the video and then I'll have you explain it after we show it. But it's a device that you have that measures nitric oxide in these products. And you compare your NO beats, which is your powdered nitric oxide energy packets here, versus other companies that claim they boost nitric oxide. And what I've seen with those videos is that they come nowhere close to producing it. So why did you decide to do that? What are you testing for? And have you gotten any backlash from these other companies? Oh, yeah. Look, the truth hurts uh, (laughs) a lot of times. So let me explain my motivation. I've been in the nitric oxide field for more than 25 years, have dozens of issued patents. And so my whole kind of motivation and mission was understand nitric oxide production in humans to the extent that we could fix this and develop safe and effective nitric oxide product technology, whether it's supplements or drugs or or topical skincare products. And so we've been successful at doing that. And in 1998, when the Nobel Prize was awarded, there were a number of products that hit the market on nitric oxide. A lot of products that contain high-dose arginine, a lot of... Those are the ones I see all the time, the arginine ones. Yeah. And so the the problem, and that became an issue for me because as a biochemist, it never made sense to me why you would give arginine to a patient that was nitric oxide deficient. Because arginine is kind of like cholesterol. It's a semi-essential amino acid. Cholesterol is not an amino acid, but the body makes it, and we get it from our diet. Same thing from arginine. The body makes it through the urea cycle, and then we get it from the breakdown of proteins into amino acids, and arginine is one of those constituent amino acids. So we're never deficient in arginine. So giving arginine is like putting gas in a car with a blown-up engine. Mm. car's not out of fuel. The engine's broken. The body's not out of arginine. It's lost its ability to convert it. Now there's studies from 2006, 2011, that if you give high-dose arginine to patients with endothelial dysfunction, they get worse. Higher incidence of heart attacks, peripheral heart disease patients get worse, intermittent claudication gets worse, and their quality of life goes down. So that just shows that you should not be using arginine as a nitric oxide. And then there were other companies out there selling beetroot products, calling a nitric oxide. And, you know, so I have this device, as you mentioned, it measures nitric oxide gas. So there are a number of ways we can test products. You can ingest these products and then look at resultant vasodilation or endothelial function. You can measure exhaled nitric oxide. But what we do, and the basis for my product technology is, if your body can't make nitric oxide, then we got to do it for you, right? You're not out of precursors or substrates. Your body's just lost the ability to utilize those. And it's very similar to testosterone. If your gonads aren't making testosterone, then we got to give it for you, right? But unlike testosterone therapy, I didn't want patients to become 100% dependent upon my product. I didn't want to cause tolerance. That's a very important issue. Is there a negative feedback loop with nitric oxide like testosterone and other hormones? It's dose dependent. Okay. So what we do here is we wanted to give a dose that would completely recapitulate endogenous nitric oxide production and not lead to tolerance and shut down endogenous NO production. How did you determine that? 
Well, a number of things. We looked at uh, radio-labeled uh, isotopes of uh, arginine infusion, looking at amount of nitric oxide being produced in the lining of the blood vessel in healthy individuals. We looked at the consumption of a, a, kind of a healthy diet and how much nitrate or nitrite was being consumed, assuming that you had the right bacteria in the stomach acid to produce it. And so we come up with kind of a total body nitric oxide production that one could ordinarily consume in a day based on exercise and diet. Mm-hmm. And then we dial that in to our product technology. So the beauty about what we do that no one else does is if your body can't make nitric oxide, then we do it for you. And using that nitric oxide analyzer, if we put this bead powder in water, we see nitric oxide coming off. As soon as it hits water, we generate nitric oxide. So when you put that in water, you got to take it as a shot. Because now we're generating nitric oxide. You consume it. Let's do it now. Nitric oxide. Right, that's why we have the cups. The body. Let's do it together. I got you one too, Brian. We'll and then what happens step. is we actually fix the reason your body can't make nitric oxide. So why is that? Is it because you have an uncoupled ENOS enzyme? Is it because you don't have the right oral bacteria? So we give the body what it needs to recouple the NOS enzyme, leads to improvement in endothelial function. We restore the oral microbiome through this pterosalivary circuit, and we basically improve the body's ability to make nitric oxide on its own. It's brilliant. So have you done tests where individuals maybe use your products for a month or two or longer, take them off and then measure their nitric oxide levels and they're just fine. They're actually producing it. Well, everybody's different. Yeah. Right. And we live in a very toxic world and (laughs) most people aren't complying and doing what they're designed to do. Right. So we're exposed to EMF. We're exposed to herbicides and pesticides on the foods we eat. Um, And so every day we're getting insulted with these environmental toxicants that eventually shut down nitric oxide production. So it's good in the fact that we can actually provide a source of nitric oxide, but clinically, every time we've tested this, we move the needle. So we develop these as a single shot because human nature is if one shot is good, three is going to be great. Yeah, right? that's usually my but, human nature too. <laughs> but no, what this is, we've dialed in the perfect amount of nitric oxide here that will improve your performance and generate just enough nitric oxide that you need. So as I showed you in the video, as soon as this hits water, solution yeah, we're generating it was vaporizing energy. a whole bunch of nitric So we take it as a shot, so we chug it. And typically, I try to use about two to three ounces of water so you can put it in there. I so usually I use a, a frother. A bit, I put a little bit too much, huh? Yeah, I use a frother to rapidly ah, dissolve smart. it yeah. and then bottoms up. So I use uh, the packets, uh, not every day, but let's say I'm using your, your lozenges, my favorite, which I use in the morning yep. and in the evening. If I'm doing this and I'm doing this every day, is that too much? Should I cycle off of one of them? It depends on kind of what your objectives are. Okay. Right, so the lozenge is different. I mean, it's the same nitric oxide technology. The lozenge we designed to have a specific resonant time. So I designed that lozenge to dissolve over five to six minutes. You put that lozenge in your mouth, move it around. As long as you don't chew it. Sometimes I'll chew it because it tastes good. (laughs) But just let it dissolve. So we're liberating a specific amount of nitric oxide over a specific period of time. Because we know that we, we need a certain flux of nitric oxide that's absorbed. It goes systemic and we can regulate nitric oxide production and improve perfusion support normal blood pressure, support normal uh, signaling and and metabolic activity. We induce mitochondrial biogenesis through activation of PGC1-alpha. So all the benefits of nitric oxide we deliver through this lozenge. So what I tell people is the lozenge is kind of like your your daily nitric oxide boost. Similarly, you take a vitamin D or a vitamin C. This is your daily NO support. The bead powder we we developed specifically for pre-workout and for energy. Now, because we, beets are kind of the hero vegetable over the past 10 or 12 years and it's been used throughout most professional sports and NCAA programs. But number one, most people don't like the taste of beets. They're full of oxalates. Yeah. And 
it's a peasant vegetable, right? Mm-hmm. So what like we them. did was we we took the best part about beets and we ferment our beets, so we pre-convert them so they it's not dependent upon the bacteria. And we take the beet pulp out, we take the oxalates out, and we take the beet taste out. And we put electrolytes in there because most people are dehydrated at the cellular level. Yeah. And we put mitochondrial ATP in here, mm-hmm. a patented product. So if your body, you have mitochondrial dysfunction, you can't make ATP, we do it for you. If your body can't make nitric oxide, we do it for you. If you're dehydrated at the cellular level, we provide the electrolytes to allow for cellular hydration. And it doesn't look or taste like beets. It's a great mixed berry flavor. Yeah, tastes great. And it's not the mess you see with beets. I love it. Brilliant. And then the other, I think, important placement of this product is to replace things like five-hour energy, the monster drinks, the Red Bulls, these stimulus-ridden, very dangerous energy drinks that hundreds of millions, not billions of people are drinking. I want people to get a natural energy source. This is natural energy at the biochemical and cellular level. And what is energy? It's the ability of the mitochondria to produce ATP. We provide it in this product. We provide the nitric oxide that leads to mitochondrial biogenesis, recouples the electron transport chain, and you get more efficient energy production at the cellular level. And I remember with the lozenges, you were telling me what it does to lower blood pressure. And you were telling me that it's unique in the sense that if somebody has high blood pressure and they take one of these NO lozenges, it'll lower it. And you could test that with the blood pressure cuff. But it doesn't lower it to the point where it could get to low blood pressure. Like if they were on blood pressure meds and they took this as well. Is that correct? That's right. So I'm always kind of the first guinea pig. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I get that. I experiment myself before I do anything in terms of bringing product to market. So I exercise a lot. I'm in decent shape for my age, but my blood pressure runs 118 over 72. So really good blood pressure. So if I put a blood pressure cuff on, we've done 24-hour ambulatory blood pressure monitoring. I take a lozenge. It doesn't dip my blood pressure to say 100 over 60 mm-hmm. cause syncope and low blood pressure and things yeah. like that. So what it is, it's it's regulatory in nature, right? And so even people with hypothyroidism who have maybe a blood pressure of 100 over 65, it doesn't further drop their blood pressure. And that's a very important safety consideration. Yeah, very important. But the other extreme example is we published on a 15-year-old kid with a rare genetic disorder back in 2011. He had blood pressure of I think 215 over 115 when we saw him. And there was no prescription medication that would lower his blood pressure. We gave him the lozenge. His blood pressure within uh, 10 minutes dropped 40 millimeters of mercury. Within four hours, it dropped 80 millimeters of mercury. That's Completely incredible. normalized his blood pressure. Wow. 120 over 80 just with this lozenge. That's incredible. Oh, my. And you have some sports teams that use your products, right? That's right. We have probably over 120, 150 professional and NCAA programs that used our our nitric oxide product technology. It makes sense, right? It's uh, going to give you a, a, an advantage and it's not... It improves performance from every biochemical and cellular aspect we understand about um, performance, whether it's athletic performance, sexual performance, or cognitive performance. When you made those videos testing the other companies, what did you have any other companies reach out to you or some people hate on you for doing that? I imagine you did. Yeah, I'm a target of a number of lawsuits yeah. <laughs> because I like to speak the truth. And it's a very expensive uh, enterprise here to defend yourself. But now the number one thing is we have to maintain the integrity of the nitric oxide space. There are many pioneers that came before me that built this uh, entire industry. And so we have to preserve the the scientific integrity of it. Wasn't the Nobel Prize awarded to? That's right, in 98. And the three U.S. scientists, there's been others that have contributed greatly to the field. So these guys kind of discovered the production of nitric oxide in humans. And I was the first to bring in nitric oxide product 
to market that actually generated nitric oxide, not these other so-called companies, uh, so-called nitric oxide companies. The whole deal was, and I get these emails all the time, and I talk about nitric oxide, people, when they watch our podcast, and say, well, I took nitric oxide, but I didn't see an effect. To me, that's very dangerous because it could kill the entire industry. And when I question people, they go, well, I, I bought this um, bead gummy that's advertised on TV and said nitric oxide, so I took it and nothing happened. Well, see, to me, that's very dangerous because these products do not generate nitric oxide. And these companies out there advertising and marketing as nitric oxide is deceptive, it's fraudulent, and it's dangerous. Mm-hmm. So my objective is to hold them accountable and show that if your product doesn't generate nitric oxide, I'm going to test it, I'm going to prove to the masses that you're fraudulent and you need to be careful and meet the rigor of the science. And I think there's, there's two camps out there. There's companies who just don't know There's some really good companies out there that make a nitric oxide product, and they just don't have the the expertise on their advisory board or their product development team to say, okay, here's here's the underlying biochemistry, here's what goes wrong, and what people that can't make nitric oxide, and here's how we fix it. They just read some literature and go, oh, arginine, citrulline, some antioxidants, we'll put it in there, we'll call it nitric oxide. So that's naivety, and education cures ignorance, right? Yeah. That's, That's our job. Then there's companies that are deliberate in their deception and their fraud. They know that these products don't generate nitric oxide. They're still out there marketing and telling people and trying to convince people to buy their products to to basically build company profit at the expense of the consumer. And that's what we do is different. That's why I started these new companies and I run these companies. The scientist is the CEO. So my objective is much less on company profit, but making sure that we bring safe and effective nitric oxide products to market if we make money, great. But more importantly, the benefit I get from this are the hundreds of emails, phone calls, and texts that I get every day, every week that we've changed people's lives. And to me, that's gratifying enough. Yeah, well said. Yeah, respect. You know, those companies that knowingly, they know that their product is not good, but they still market it as such. They're no different than big pharma, right? They're, they're just right. looking for the profit. You also are, have some skincare products. So there, there's this right here that I've been using. Yeah. So how does nitric oxide help with skincare, wrinkles, et cetera? And let's do a little bit of an experiment with this. Well, once we understood that we could make nitric oxide, then I thought, what else could we do? And this goes back probably 10 or 15 years. And it was a personal story for me. My dad's a paraplegic from a car accident in 1984. Oh, wow. So I've been dealing with decubitus pressure ulcers on my dad for most of my adult life. And he had a lot of non-healing wounds. And so one of his wounds on his right, he had a right ischial ulcer that wasn't healing. So I started making a topical nitric oxide, a gauze that I could infiltrate with nitric oxide gas, put it in the wound. We could increase blood flow to the wound. We killed infections and the wound healed. Mm. And I go, wow. And even his wound care docs go, holy. When was this? What year was this? This was probably 2014. Wow. Is your dad still alive? My dad's still alive. He just turned 75. Wow. He's been in a wheelchair since 1984. Wow. So a remarkable guy. So that told me that nitric oxide topically would be a very important technological advantage. And so we're developing this as a, as a topical drug for diabetic ulcers and non-healing wounds. But first, we thought, well, the skin is an organ, yeah, right? Just like the heart, just like the lungs, just like the sex organs. Without sufficient blood supply, that organ fails. So what happens? You lose hydration, you lose collagen, fine lines and wrinkles appear, you, you start age. to get acne, you get age spots, and you look old. So what if we could restore nitric oxide, restore perfusion, improve cellular turnover, improve collagen deposition by delivery of nitric oxide gas topically. So that's what I did. I set out and I, I developed a dual chamber nitric oxide 
a product here, and this is a, a skincare and beauty product. So I've been doing, oh, yeah, so let's go. We're going to do, do a demo here. here. So it's two chambers. So what we do is we apply one pump from one side, one pump from the other. And when we mix these two ingredients together, we're going to generate nitric oxide gas. So you'll see three things here if the camera can zoom in. You'll see it bubbling. That's nitric oxide gas being produced. And you'll see it turn pink wherever we apply it. So it's recruiting capillaries and causing an increase in perfusion. Interesting. And then you'll see these veins dilate. So we're actually dilating the blood vessels of wherever we apply this. Yeah, I see it bubbling too. Yeah. And so what happens here when you improve nitric oxide, so ordinarily we'd put this in the palm of the hand. On the face, that's what I've been doing, yeah. Yeah, and then rub it together. But for demonstration purposes, we just apply it here. So you can see everywhere we've applied this, it'll turn pink. So now what does that mean? Now we have five published clinical trials on this. In 30 days use, we can improve collagen deposition. We improve hydration. Really? We improve the tone, texture, clarity of the skin. We've got clinical trials on acne, scar remediation, huh. fine lines and wrinkles. This is a new product category in skincare. That is super cool. problem I have in skincare is obviously this is a multi-billion dollar a year industry. But most skincare products are designed to hide or mask the blemishes. Yeah, right. Hide the fine yeah, lines. Hide the age the root cause, yeah. What we do is get to the root cause. So we improve blood flow. We improve cellular turnover. We get new cells that are replacing the old cells. We get collagen deposition, tone texture and clarity improve. And I mean, the skin, I mean, really transformative results in just 30 days. I want to share some anecdotal shares about your product uh, with my autoimmune. So I have yeah. Raynaud's, yeah. which is an autoimmune syndrome condition. Over the years, my Raynaud's has pr improved tremendously. A few years ago, five or six years ago, I would get flare-ups almost every day. That's when I had a lot of mercury issues, mold issues, and I took care of that. And it's improved, but it's not to the point where it's completely gone. Right. So if I get usually a mental stress sort of thing might flare it up where my fingers start to lose the blood flow and turn white. It might happen now maybe once every other month before it was right. like every day. But as soon as I take a lozenge, it goes away. And I have some students who have Raynaud's and I tell them, look, when you get a flare up, take one of your I know, lozenges and they've told me the same thing. It goes away. So what's happening there? I know the blood the you know, vasodilation, right. but explain a little bit more. Well, Raynaud's is a, it's a microvascular disease. Mm -hmm. So it's microvascular dysfunction, meaning that the small blood vessels of the extremities don't dilate or become responsive. So they're chronically constricted and it restricts blood supply to the extremities. So what nitric oxide does when it's delivered systemically is it goes and opens up the microcirculation. So now we're opening up those leading to vasodilation. We perfuse the digits and you get the color back and the symptoms of um, the ischemia and the Raynaud's syndrome go away within a period of minutes. So important because if you don't take care of the Raynaud's, it leads to devastating, like scleroderma. Could well, no, if you, if you, and it's the same thing. If you've got microvascular dysfunction in your extremities, you've got microvascular dysfunction in every other organ. It's a systemic right. disease. It just manifests in the hand. Correct. Same thing. If you have erectile dysfunction or endothelial dysfunction in your sex organs, other it's not isolated it to that vascular bed. Yeah. You've got endothelial dysfunction in the heart, in the lungs, in the kidneys. It's a systemic disease. So we call ED a canary in the coal mine. And I think, mm. you know, Raynaud's could be a microvascular canary in the coal mine as well. That particular vascular bed is dysfunctional and it's not isolated to the extremities. Yeah, that makes total sense. You have a new book coming out. I don't know if you could share details about yeah, sure. it. Okay, so share some details about your new book and when what it's called, the title, and then the release date. 
As you mentioned, I've written several self-published books. I've written a number of medical textbooks. I've published over 100 scientific papers in the medical literature. But what I find is most people don't read the medical literature. Uh, <laughs> these books are kind of educational and, 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 and I think entertaining. Yeah, it's uh, an easy read. It's an easy read. For the average person. But I think our next objective was we went out and we, we, we pitched this to some major publishers. My agent got the major publisher on board. But this book will be out. In fact, I'm finishing up the final touches on this book just this week. It's called The Secret of Nitric Oxide, Bringing Nitric Oxide to Life. Love it. And the purpose of the book is twofold. Number one, the main objective is to educate awareness around nitric oxide so that people understand how important this is. We go into really great detail, kind of like we did today, on what are you doing that's disrupting nitric oxide production, what's been clinically proven to promote and stimulate nitric oxide production, and kind of bringing all this full circle. But, you know, over the past 25 years, I made a number of really seminal discoveries in the field that really changed the way we thought about nitric oxide. So it's somewhat autobiographical, and it talks about kind of my personal journey and the discoveries we made, the observations we made, how we had to pivot, change the way we thought about nitric oxide, and these other observations that really gave us the information we needed to develop some innovative product technology that unlike any other company or person has been able to develop over the past 30 years. So that's the whole point is kind of tell my personal story, but more importantly, talk about the importance of nitric oxide so that the readers and the consumers understand the information is out there to empower individual patients. So you don't have an excuse for being sick anymore. And our objective is to give people the information they need to empower them to where they never have to see a physician. Yeah. That's our goal. And with these types of platforms and podcasts and, you know, books, we can get the information in the hands of the people. We don't have to pay millions of dollars and advertise like big pharma and push bad products like a lot of these companies. We empower the patient, empower the consumer, give them the information they need to take control of their own health and wellness. And if they're sick, they can get well. If they're well like you and I, they can maintain some wellness and never get sick. I love that. Uh, so stay tuned for that book. We'll bring you back for that yep. when, it, when it comes out. The last couple things here, and I know I texted this to you a few, few months ago because one of the docs in my group asked about this question. Methylene blue is very popular. Yep. And there's some, some people out there who teach about methylene blue and there's some books out there saying that nitric oxide is actually bad for you and what it does to damage the brain and actually interfere with methylene blue. So I'd love if we could just unpack that and just explain sure. what's actually happening here. Well, first, let me say everyone has an agenda. Yeah. Especially, and my agenda is education and awareness. I'm less interested in selling you product. I'm more interested in providing the science and the education behind nitric oxide. So with that kind of disclosure, methylene blue we've used in the research lab for 30 years and we use it to inhibit nitric oxide-based signaling. So when we use methylene blue in the research lab, it oxidizes soluble guanylate cyclase, the target of nitric oxide production, and completely abrogates or eliminates the signaling aspects of nitric oxide. So it sounds bad. No, it's bad. You, everything we know about nitric oxide, if you don't get enough nitric oxide or you inhibit nitric oxide signaling, bad things happen. Methylene blue has been used in the research lab for 30 years, specifically inhibiting cyclic GMP-dependent nitric oxide signaling. So I'd, I've never understood this. I mean, maybe you can think about inducing some brief period of hormesis or shutting down nitric oxide production, but the American lifestyle, American diet itself does that. You don't need any type of intervention or hermetic compound to inhibit nitric oxide production. Most people are inhibited by their ability to produce nitric oxide. So I don't like methylene blue. I've never taken it. Uh, I don't, and the people that are out there selling this are 
obviously saying bad things about nitric oxide because it's in the literature that methylene blue inhibits nitric oxide production. So they have to change their narrative. And so rather than talking about kind of the dose dependency of methylene blue and kind of the limitations on dosing, and it's probably a dose-dependent effect, low microdosing may be beneficial. Um, I'm not convinced, and I certainly wouldn't take it myself because I'm interested in optimizing my nitric oxide production because it enhances telomere length, improves mitochondrial function, and improves my own stem cell function and oxygenates every organ, tissue, and cell in the body. I don't want to disrupt that process, Mm -hmm. and methylene blue does that. That makes all sense. What you just shared makes total sense. But to me, it's like I interview people who talk about methylene blue too, and I have people in my group who use it, and they have some great experiences with it. I use it sometimes before red light. I don't use it chronically. So it's confusing even to somebody like me yeah. because there's even some research showing the benefits of methylene blue. So you mentioned it might be dose dependent. So there might sure. be a usage for it where you'll get a benefit, but chronic use of it and too much is what you're saying. Could Well, I, th- I subscribe to the, your philosophy here. I don't think doing anything, any one thing chronically okay. is, you know, in terms of these biohacks, yeah. right? They're to elicit some adaptive effect. Mm-hmm. So I've seen people and I've heard these anecdotal benefits of people with methylene blue. And so I'm not discounting that. I, t- I, don't, I don't argue with results. I argue with the interpretation of results. So there may be a completely different mechanism on the benefits of methylene blue that have nothing to do with nitric oxide. Got it. But what I know from my perspective and being in the nitric oxide space for 25 years is we use it as an inhibitor of nitric oxide signaling in the lab. And that is a very bad thing. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Last question is about my favorite supplement, Nathan, vitamin G. Vitamin G. Uh, which is not here on the table, but yeah. it's right here in the heart, and that's gratitude. So Absolutely. what do you got vitamin G for today? Again, I, th- I think I touched on it, but, you know, hundreds of emails, texts, and phone calls I get every day, every week from people who've used our product. We've changed their lives. We've saved their lives. And to me, there's nothing more gratifying than that because you said if, if you change one person's life, you've changed the world. You've certainly changed their world. We've been doing this now for... 15 years commercially, 25 years professionally. And I'm just grateful for the opportunity that the good Lord blessed me with a gift of knowledge and understanding on nitric oxide and the vision to create safe and effective product technology that's certainly changing people's lives and changing the world. And I'm you know, grateful for the connections and the friendships that I've met along the way, including you, Ben, because really that's, that's what it's all about. It's the relationships we build. It's the legacy we leave. And we're remembered by how we treat people and how we make people feel, not how much money we make or what we do otherwise. So Amen. I'm, grat- I'm certainly grateful for that. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely changing a lot of lives. My mine included in my audience as well. You could get any of the products mentioned in his books. We'll put links for it down below. We do have a coupon code if you want to use it. The coupon code is Keto Camp. We'll drop that down below. You have different websites. Share your websites and your social media. It's been very complicated. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I wanted you to share it, not me. <laughs> So I developed different products at different stages at different times because in my previous company, I was bound by a consulting agreement and a non-compete that didn't allow me to, to bring products to market. Now that that's over and my non-competes expired, I brought, and again, let me just say, my objective is to bring safe and effective product technologies into every major market segment around the world. We've been very successful in nutrition and dietary supplements. The skincare product has been an absolute success. Now we've got a drug company. We're developing nitric oxide drugs. We're actually going through the FDA. And so I don't, wow. I, I, we're, we know that nitric oxide is so important that there's not a single indication where nitric oxide at the right dose at the right time in the right patient won't provide benefit. So we're going to go through the rigor of FDA trials. We have a number of clinical trials in phase three 
There are a number of drugs in phase three clinical trials now for ischemic heart disease. We've got an Alzheimer's drug program. We've got our topical and for diabetic ulcers. So the primary website and really what we're trying to do is kind of marry all these under one brand and it's n101.com. That was originally our skincare company. Now we're bringing all of our uh, products underneath that umbrella and that company called Numa Nitric Oxide because we're really a lifestyle company. We want to inform people to stop doing what they're doing that's disrupting nitric oxide production. Start with diet and lifestyle first. And then when that doesn't work or you need a little bit of extra help, then that's where the products come in. Mm-hmm. But it's really a, a lifestyle company and an education company. And then the drug company, we just started a new company called Bryan Therapeutics. It's a C Corp. We've acquired our nitric oxide innovations drug company. And that drug company will be going through FDA clinical trials. We're raising money now to get our drugs into clinical trials. And that's BrianTherapeutics.com. So really the consumer products are all under N101.com. The drug products obviously are going to take several years to get FDA approval. But it's my expectation that we have drugs approved on the market by late 2024. That's exciting. So N101.com, use the coupon code KETOCAMP. Brian. Um, what's Therapeutics. Therapeutics.com. Maybe you're an investor and you want to learn about more yep. investing in it. Brian, my social is uh, Instagram is Dr. Nathan S. Brian. I'm on Twitter at Dr. Nitric, LinkedIn, Facebook. We'll get it. That's a, we'll get yeah. those and we'll put them down below. If you want to watch those videos that you're testing out other products, I found that on your Instagram. So well, Yeah, and also YouTube. I have a YouTube oh, channel YouTube. where we'll upload kind of those videos. If you've got your favorite nitric oxide product and you want me to test it for yeah. you. Let me know what it is. Send me an email or, or text or contact yeah, me. Yeah, co- comment on the YouTube video. Like yeah. if there's a product, and then, then I'll, I'll get it. it. I'll get it to Brian. If you're watching on YouTube, share this with somebody, like and comment, et cetera. If you're listening on the podcast, same thing, share it, leave it a review. Brian, thank you for making the trip down to Miami and uh, recording round two. Congrats on your success. Thanks for making these available to us and teaching us about the lifestyle changes, more importantly, to change our health for the better. So thanks for coming to the show. Round two. Thank you, brother. Thank you, Ben. Appreciate you. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Dr. Nathan Bryan. We hung out in person. If you want to watch the video format of today's interview, it's on our YouTube channel. You can see us hanging out at the Keto Camp HQ. Go to youtube.com slash Keto Camp. If you want to get any of the products mentioned, and they have other products we didn't mention, with the coupon code, head to the link down below. Use the coupon code Keto Camp and get a nice discount. Their products are terrific. I think you're going to notice a difference as soon as you take it. We'll also include all of the social media, the website, everything mentioned down below. Stay tuned for his brand new book coming out in a few months. And leave the show a rating and review on Apple Podcasts if you haven't done so already. Get registered for the free diabetes web class over at diabeteswebclass.com. Love and appreciate you, Keto Camper. Thank you for spending part of your day with Dr. Nathan Bryan and myself. I'll see you in the next episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own. And this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein.
If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.